0: All right, so we're joined here today by Jeff Adams. Uh, Jeff is one of the earliest voice pioneers. This is going to be a really special episode because we're going to talk a whole lot about the science that goes into um, Alexa and these different consumer smart speaker devices uh, and voice assistants as a whole. Um, but before we go into too much depth, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, you know, where you're at now with Cobalt, and then maybe just a brief synopsis of where you were before you went off and started Cobalt.
1: Sure. Uh, thanks, Dave. By the way, I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here and always happy to talk about uh, voice. Um, I. Uh, I, uh, my main job these days is uh, I am the founder, owner, and, and uh, CEO of Cobalt Speech and Language, which is uh, a company that uh, does speech and voice and language-related technology for all manner of applications uh, and, uh, and, and devices. Uh, and we are, uh, we're hired by other companies to help them build things uh, uh, mainly. So you wouldn't necessarily see our name on things directly, but mm-hmm. uh, we're, our technology behind stuff that you might see elsewhere. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and we're, uh, well, let me just say a word or two about Cobalt. We're uh, uh, about 30 people strong scattered around the world. We're a virtual company. So, here, uh, we're recording this right in the, in the time of the uh, coronavirus quarantine, and uh, that's uh, it's kind of business as usual for us. We're, we're all used to working from home and, and uh, in, a, in a virtual setting anyway. Um, before I founded Cobalt, which would be going back like six, seven, eight years, uh, I was involved at Amazon in the Alexa speech team. Um, Alexa had, uh, had acquired the speech company that I worked for uh, before that. Uh, and so I and my team uh, became the, the nucleus of the Alexa speech and language team. Uh, and we, we spent three years there uh, building uh, what uh, became a, a surprisingly ubiquitous uh, <laughs> product. Uh, and uh, that was a super cool experience, uh, a lot of fun and a lot of uh, cool technology went into that. And going back further than that, I've been uh, doing uh, um, speech and voice technology, uh, mostly speech recognition kinds of things for just over 25 years now, um, and, uh, and, and have, uh, have worked in a number of companies uh, doing a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting things.
0: Yeah, I remember uh when when you were on the Voice Bot Podcast with Brett, um he, you guys went through a really extensive background and I remember thinking to myself, wow, this this guy has um he is one of the OGs in this space. He's been around for a while and he has like really, really chartered uh a path forward with this whole space. So it's super cool to have you on today. And you know, for the audience, the reason I wanted to bring Jeff on is sort of twofold. Um I want to first set the stage uh, of what the second half of the conversation is gonna be. Um, The first half is gonna be about how we got to now with voice technology. I wanna hear from somebody that knows the science of it and the domain expertise as well as Jeff. Um, You know, we just came up on Alexa's fifth birthday And I want to hear how some of those initial challenges when he started at Alexa, or I'm sorry, started at Amazon, um, how they solved some of the challenges that existed at the time, and then looking forward into where we're going with this technology, and in particular, how voice technology can be used in today's setting with coronavirus, how can we use voice technology to combat that? And I think if we have a better understanding of how we got to now, then we can kind of understand what the technology is capable of today, and then five years from now um, with what's on the horizon. So, Jeff, I you know before this call, I sent you over your successor, uh, Rohat, uh, Rohit. Rohit, um, I sent the article that he penned after Alexis' fifth birthday, and. He said, enhancements and foundational components of Alexa. He said, in order to be magical at the launch of Echo, Alexa needed to be great at four fundamental AI tasks. And those tasks were wake word detection, automatic speech recognition, natural language understanding, and text-to-speech synthesis. So can you kind of like walk us through like what that was like when you first started at Amazon and when you got pitched on this idea of, you know, a a smart speaker, far field microphones, can you walk us through what the mindset was like then and then go through each of those four and say sort of like how wake word detection, automatic speech recognition, NLU, and text to speech synthesis have sort of evolved since then.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, I mentioned this uh, several times before, uh, uh, in different settings, it was, it was uh, a little bit alarming for me when Amazon first, uh, uh, brought us in and, and, and finally after we agreed to take part in some mystery project and, and sign up for three years they brought us in and they finally told us what it was that they wanted to do. And I was a little bit alarmed because the, the, uh, the conventional wisdom at the time was that what Amazon wanted to do was just not possible, at least not with the technology of the time. And, um, and so there were things that we had to there were things that we had to invent uh develop um, and and it wasn't you know it wasn't all invented in-house by my team. We, there were a lot of smart people working in academic settings, and we built upon their work and consulted with them and so forth uh, but it was uh it was a non-trivial task to develop those four areas that you outlined um, uh to to get. Uh, Alexa to be able to work, and that's not even looking at the hardware side of mm-hmm. the array microphones and the signal processing and so forth that goes into that. but let me let me take those four areas that you mentioned. I'm going to combine the first two for a second because they both have to do with speech recognition, okay. Uh, the serious challenge that we had to overcome the the thing that was uh, The thing that was, uh, let me say, impossible at the time, and we've since solved the problem, but the thing that we didn't really know how to do was uh, recognize speech that was coming from quite a distance, uh, specifically indoors. Um, The the problem with being indoors is that you're in a room with lots of reflective surfaces, and so when the microphones pick up your speech, they're picking up uh, uh, many different copies of what you said One copy is going straight from your mouth to the microphone, but there's also a copy that's bouncing off the window and another copy bouncing off the desk and another copy bouncing off the wall and whatever. Uh, And each one of those uh, arrives at the microphone with a little bit of a delay based on how far it had to travel in in its bounce uh, and also with a little bit of distortion based on whatever it bounced off of. And so instead of just getting one simple copy of your speech, which was what all speech recognition at the time was used to, uh, it had to deal with this muddle of you know, five or ten different copies of your speech, each one slightly delayed and, and distorted, uh, and then all combined together. So that was, um, that was, that was really hard. Uh, that, that was the part of what was really hard about this problem. And that applies both to the problem of recognizing a wake word, uh, but also recognizing the speech that's going to go that's going to go with it. Um, uh, let let me let me tell you just a little bit how we tackled that problem. Um, if if that problem had been presented to us five years earlier, um, we would not have we would not have had the tools to solve it. Uh, very fortuitously. Just a couple of years before Amazon set out to build uh, the uh, the Alexa uh, technology uh, and, and the Echo devices in particular, uh, just a couple of years earlier, there had been a breakthrough uh, in uh, in applications of uh, deep neural networks, or sometimes called deep learning, um, to speech recognition. And this was a this was a, a new and different way of characterizing of uh, 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 for what we call the acoustic model meaning that part of the system that recognizes what sound of the language it's hearing that it can tell the difference between an ooh or an ah or a sh or a p or whatever the different sounds of the language uh and um and the previous approaches were kind of brittle in that respect that if if it was getting you know, uh, um, they, they they had a hard time representing the variety of sounds that you might get when you're getting these, you know, echoey, uh, reverberant, muddled uh, 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 copies of, of the speech signal bouncing off of surfaces in a room. Um, but these deep neural network models were revolutionary and allowed a lot Better modeling of how to how to recognize those sounds, and as long as they had enough data to 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 feed them, as long as you had enough data to say here's what um, here's what these sounds you know here's what these are going to sound like in within a room, uh, they um, uh, they were able to capture that, and and you're able to model that with these deep neural networks. So. So that's the, the one thing that was a, a prerequisite that had fortuitously just come along just a year or two before, um, well, maybe three, four years before, but, but pretty pretty close before. Um, and so then the other piece that we had to do to take advantage of that was to go collect a whole bunch of data from, uh, from people speaking in rooms and, it, and we had to capture every conceivable kind of room. We had to capture offices and bedrooms and living rooms and kitchens and bathrooms and, and garages and whatever else. Uh, and so at Amazon, we had a, a very ambitious um, data recording project. And of course, this was doubly hard because it was all done. Uh, the project was so secretive. Uh, we couldn't really tell people what we were doing, but we collected uh, recordings of many thousands of people in many hundreds of settings of different rooms and so forth uh, um, and um, and and we're able to then feed these deep neural network training algorithms all of this data and let it learn how to recognize this reverberant speech uh, And so so that that was the that was the first key which we solved with those these two, sort of joint um, uh, techniques of using deep neural networks and lots of data that was collected and captured all of that. Yeah, very fascinating. So that's that's the one piece. There's another piece that um, when, when you say to me, okay, I want to be able to ask uh, my Echo to play any song that is in Amazon's catalog. And there were more than a million songs at the time. It's more now, uh, but uh, at the time there were more than a million songs, and they all had uh, a lot of interesting words in their titles, uh, some interesting spellings, and so forth. And we had to figure out, okay, how to make. I'm just using uh, the music playing as an example, but you know the same thing applies to asking for weather in random cities and whatever. We had to teach Alexa a, a huge vocabulary of words that. That would, rep- that would be able to capture every you know, song and movie and city and, and whatever uh, that, uh, that you're speaking. And in fact, she has to know more vocabulary than, than a typical human does, because most humans don't know the names of every city and all the words in every song and, and so forth. Um, and so we had to teach her a huge vocabulary and the, the language side of it, of you know, how to ask for these things and, and, and so forth. So those those two pieces together, this acoustic modeling, which we tackled with deep neural networks, and this data collection, and the the language, which we captured by um, by doing some very sophisticated language modeling, and putting those together, that allowed us to do to really tackle the the speech recognition problem um, that went into Alexa. Now, I, I, we we sometimes call out separately the wake word part. The wake word is just a a a specific instance of speech recognition but it's challenging in a couple of ways first of all it's challenging because it's got to be um the wake word is like the it's the it's the the sentinel it's the it's the the, it's guarding the entrance to the whole rest of the system um you you've got to get it to recognize the wake word in in most cases that is alexa uh, with, with Amazon, but, you know, it might be a different wake word for a different system and you can change the wake word, uh, on your Alexa device as well. Um, but it has to be able to recognize that, um, in a very robust setting. And, um, I don't know if everybody understands this. There's a small recognizer on the device that's running on the device that is just running the wake word recognition. So on my, on my, you know, little. you know echo uh uh my echo device at home uh i uh when it's listening it's listening to me speak all the time unless i've muted it um I turned off the mic but it's listening to me all the time but it's not sending that up to amazon uh until it hears a wake word but that means it's it has it has that job of this little tiny device on a cheap chip has to has to recognize the wake word uh, flawlessly, uh, in order to then pass it along, uh, pass the speech along to a- Amazon.
0: Well, and uh, with with that too, I think that's at the core of the misconception that sometimes runs in the mainstream, you know, news media, where it's yeah. this notion that there's it's always recording and it's always listening, and it's such a misconception because, to your point, it's just listening for the wake word. It wouldn't really. <laughs> Can you speak to just like the feasibility of how it would be ridiculous, right? If it were literally the whole system was listening all the time, it, the, yeah. the power consumption and the
1: yeah, you can't you can't run that many computers to <laughs> to, right. uh, to listen to every device twenty four seven in some you know, cloud based system. Um, so that's why you know the, the 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 devices have to be the gatekeeper, uh, and, and the wake word is the is the gatekeeper. To, to say, I have to say the device and then I will send that next utterance up to the cloud. Um, sometimes, you know, um, you know, I can't remember what it was, but I, you know, I, I was talking to a rental car company and I said, uh, you know, okay, yeah, I'd like to see Alexis. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, and, and you know, Alexa woke up thinking it heard its name. Well, sure. We all sometimes hear our names when someone didn't really say them. Um, but you know, then it quickly says, Oh, uh, okay, the next the thing that followed that didn't make sense. So um it might have sent it up to the cloud, say, hey, can you make sense of this? And the cloud says, No, I don't make sense of that. And then, mm-hmm. but so there are some utterances that will go up to the cloud, but they're few and far between. Um, and the idea that uh that anybody's listening to you is is just preposterous. Yeah. Um and, and just, it's not feasible, it's not practical. That's what I thought. Yeah. So so the, uh, the the wake word is running on the device, um, and it has to be a low power thing that's always listening. The 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 speech recognition then, once it passes it up to the cloud, is going to make sense of the words that you said. So if I said something like, um, "I want to hear some reggae," um, it's gonna it's gonna pass that up to the cloud and the cloud has to recognize those words. I want to hear some reggae. Uh, Now we're done with the first two of your four uh, (laughs) of your four bullets there. Right. Now now we've heard these words. I want to hear some reggae. And what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to turn on the lights? Are we supposed to, uh, you know, order uh, order you something on Amazon or whatever? No. In this case, uh, we have to recognize that that means I want to play some music and specifically I want to play some music that has the, that has the genre marked as reggae. It's not reggae doesn't isn't referring to an artist or an album name or a song name or something like that. It's referring to a genre and it takes some intelligence to figure that out. What do you what do you mean by, you know, I want to hear some reggae. Um, how do you turn that into an actual command that the system can can uh, act on. And that's this third bullet, the natural language understanding uh, of turning uh, a phrase or a word coming in, just knowing the words, turning that into understanding what am I supposed to do? Um, and that's uh, um, that—that's challenging. I, I honestly think at Amazon and when we first released it, I think the uh, the speech recognition was was more accurate than the the natural language understanding when it made mistakes in those early days i think it was often uh, more often because the natural language understanding um fell down and 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 wasn't able to parse whatever it was that you said um uh, but that has changed dramatically over the last five six years uh and uh, the natural language understanding is uh, super powerful now it does it i still sometimes find it making mistakes for me, and I'm sure we all do, either mistakes on the speech recognition or on the natural language understanding. But that's uh, that's what the natural language understanding uh, part is. And it's got to figure out what are the things that you're talking about and what are basically, the, uh, it comes down to understanding verbs and nouns. Uh, so it's got to understand the verbs, meaning what do you want it to do? And then the nouns, what are the things that you want it to, to act on? So when I say, I want to play some reggae, it needs to understand the verb that means, okay, play some music. And then it needs to understand you know, that the word reggae means, uh, uh, means a style of music or, or whatever. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's challenging. Um, it's, a, it's a hard problem. And, and there were some uh, primitive uh, NLU kinds of systems at the time. But uh, with Alexa, we had to like really advance the state of the art there to be able to understand a broad array of things with a large, uh, a large collection of you know cities or as I mentioned, cities or song names or whatever. And then the um, the the final piece is um, once we have an you know if someone asks a question or needs if we need to respond to the user uh, and say something back. We want that to sound natural. Uh, and, um, at the time when, when Alexa was first unveiled, a lot of people remarked that her voice was remarkably natural sounding. I mean, it still is. I, uh, I I think Alexa sounds great. Uh, Mm, Um, but it was, uh, it was, that was not easy. You know, if you, if you remember back to, uh, you know, you, if you remember back to, you know, uh, Stephen Hawking's uh, text-to-speech uh, yeah. uh, voice or whatever, uh, that, we've come a long way uh, mm-hmm. in, in recent years, uh, and that um, that work was done primarily by an outstanding team in Poland that was uh, acquired by Amazon uh, and is now uh, Amazon's uh, text-to-speech team and, uh, and uh, continues to uh, to uh, improve the naturalness of the voice, uh, which as I say, I think is remarkably natural. Um, and you know, another other uh, cool features like, you know, I don't know if you've been following, but you know, you can pay a dollar and get Samuel L. Jackson's voice to be yeah. your, uh, your uh, voice on Alexa. Uh, and uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty cool too. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So anyway, those are, the four, those are the four big areas. They all required really groundbreaking, uh, aggressive work to get them to work well. Uh, and, uh, and I look back on what we did at Amazon. You know, when, when, when they first told us what they wanted us to do, they thought it might be a six months to a year kind of project. <laughs> uh, and it ended up being a three-year project from the day they unveiled it to us. Until uh, until we launched, it was just a few days more than a year uh, than than three years. Yeah, and um, uh, and that uh, and, and that was with a, a, a really impressive and large team. There were hundreds of people working on this uh, on the on the on the TTS and the ASR and the NLU and the, sorry to to use all those three letter three letter. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, that was a, it was a, it was a, a fun and heady time for me.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing all that. And I have a few follow-up questions on a few of these different ones. Um, my first question is, can you kind of like recount that day that Jeff Bezos pitched you on this? And, yeah. and I'm just curious, was this, cause I feel like I've heard conflicting stories at this point. Was this initially his idea of the, the end goal or do you know the origin of how alexa was conceived
1: i know i know a little bit about it um first of all i'll clarify jeff bezos himself was not in the room did not personally pitch it to us okay Uh, but um he uh uh his uh uh, jeff bezos at amazon uh at at the time I, i think it's still probably the case he has uh, like a, a, a right-hand man or woman uh, that goes with him to a lot of meetings and mm-hmm. uh, is is called his TA. Uh, and his TA, TA had been a guy named Greg Hart, who uh, he and the, the two of them had had a lot of discussions. They had heard a lot of ideas, and they uh, they heard a number of things that as that over the course of you know a year or so, uh, a lot a lot of things that kind of made them start thinking along the lines of a voice-first, home, personal assistant, speaker, smart speaker, like, like the Echo. Nothing like that existed in the market, right? Yeah. And, um, and they heard a number of things that made them think that that might be uh, an interesting thing. And so uh, when Greg Hart, the, this TA, uh, uh, finished his term, uh, he, he then took over the leadership of the Alexa project. And, um, uh, and he was in the room. He was, he was the one who pitched this to us. Uh, and, um, um, and, and, and so, you know, I don't know, I wasn't there in those meetings with them. I don't know exactly what prompted what, but they were, um, you know, it, it, it clearly was, uh, a, a product of discussions with jeff bezos greg hart and maybe a few others um that uh, that, that led to the concept uh, of uh, of the echo
0: yeah okay that's very interesting and i know that you mentioned the two different you said are in, in this podcast you said there it was sort of a stealth project that you guys were working on but i know in a previous podcast of yours that i listened to there were dueling secret projects uh, at the time it was uh, the uh, you know whole Alexa project but also the fire phone um, and I thought it was really interesting you said uh, on that podcast that I listened to that the insider talk was that everybody was kind of bullish on the fire phone and uh, it ended up you know sort of fate would have it that it went the other way
1: right. Right. Everybody thought, "Oh, the Fire Phone—that's a—that's a solid bet." And they, they <laughs> and and no one, there was no such thing. I mean, there were phones already, right? Mm-hmm. There weren't smart speakers already, and so uh, people just weren't sure if if that would if that would uh, catch on at all. If they yeah. care about a smart speaker, um, and so uh, yeah, so the Fire Phone project was uh, our sort of our sister project. <laughs> um, I say that. Most people working on either the Firephone or uh or uh the, the Echo, the vast majority of people working on either one didn't know about the other. But mm-hmm. the management levels, uh, there was some uh some discussion and people uh generally the 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 talk on the, you know, the talk at the time was that the firephone was gonna be the big thing. Yeah. You yeah, know, and, and the the um uh, echo was a big risky project no one knew if it would go anywhere <laughs>
0: um okay so the next question i had when you were going through the four different things um something i've thought a lot about around wake word detection is okay so if we're moving toward a uh, the scenario where somebody in their home they might have five different devices five different alexas um and i'm in let's just say i'm in some area that could be considered you know, I'm in, my bathroom has a a wall. Uh, it's got an outlet, you know, a plug that has Alexa in it, And then it also, I have a smart speaker in my living room or something like that. And I'm right in between the two. How do you envision this working where you'll be able to, um, they'll work in Simpatico almost, but that they won't compete, I guess, or, or both be kind of responding to you?
1: So that's, so that's already the case that they try to, um coordinate among themselves to figure out and the the main thing they they take into account i believe I, I have to say uh most of this work was done after i left amazon so i don't have any uh any inside information here i'm just guessing as a, you know an educated observer uh from the outside um but i believe that what they do is they look at the uh the volume uh and so if when I say Alexa in my house, I have a half a dozen devices and they all uh, they're connected enough to be able to compare notes. And, and, you know, one of them will say, you know, Oh, I heard, I heard that the loudest and mm-hmm. say, okay, you take it over. Um, because you can, you know, you can set up your devices like as part of a room. So when I walk into a room, I can say, turn on the lights. It knows, Oh, this device heard me. And so I'm going to turn on the lights in this room, uh, as opposed to, you know, if I walk in another room and say, turn on the lights, it'll, 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 you know, turn on those lights in that room because they can tell which device is, is hearing me. But sound is a, sound is a weird thing. Um, and, uh, very often when, you know, when, when you speak, um, As I say, things you know, sound bounces uh, around the house, bounces off walls, and very often this my voice is heard by. At least I'm I'm speaking from my personal experience in my home. Very often, if I say, sometimes I'm in the kitchen, and I'm not particularly close to my kitchen echo, and I say, uh, you know, Alexa, start a timer for five minutes, Uh, and sometimes the, oh. I just said that and the uh, <laughs> I, I just, I start a timer for five minutes on the hall in another room. I don't even know what, room, what one that was. I, I muted the one here in my office. Um, but, uh, but sometimes it'll hear me in another, another room and it'll start the timer on the wrong device. That's just because they got confused about being able to decipher uh, which one I was closest to, which one I, I probably intended to be talking to. But they're, they're getting smarter about that. Alexa is starting to take into account context of like, oh, uh, uh, he usually ser- sets timers in the kitchen, not in the bathroom or whatever. So Yeah, um,
0: interesting. So, so using a little bit of contextual information.
1: Exactly, starting to yeah. take them into account.
0: So I think that's great because I think now uh, both myself and hopefully the listeners have a better understanding of like the actual inner workings of these devices and how we sort of are able to operate them in the way that we can, and just having a better sense of how sophisticated these things really are. And so what I would love to now focus the conversation on is, uh, you know, okay, so where we are today, I would love to hear, um, you know, focusing this on coronavirus. So can I, can, can you share with me some of the different ways uh, with the technology in its current state, how, we can maybe use it in some capacity to either support, augment, or even kind of combat the disease in some capacity?
1: Yeah, um, sure. So we, we, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about Amazon and Alexa during this conversation, but you know, honestly, that was five or six years ago. <laughs> my, my current life is uh, working with companies that are trying to do other creative, interesting things uh, with speech technology. And uh, we have a group that we're talking to right now to uh, develop uh, screening kiosks uh, where, uh, when you're like entering into a workplace or uh, or a public uh, space or whatever, uh, that uh, instead of having a person that has to ask you all sorts of health questions, like have you have you been exposed to this? Do you have a cough? What's your temperature? Whatever I don't know whatever they mm-hmm. might have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that this little kiosk will just interact with you by voice. And rather than having to like pick out on a keypad, uh, you know, the answer to a question, you can just speak naturally to it. Um, and so, um, and so we're, we're trying to get that set up to get rolled out in, in places like, uh, like I say, like places of employment where people still have to, to go, uh, even, uh, during this uh, general quarantine time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but also, um, in, uh, you know, airports or other other uh, open spaces, public facilities, uh, and so we're 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 getting we're working on that. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just simply you know being able to have a conversation with someone about a directed uh, topic. In this case, you know, health questions. The uh, there there's another level of this which I find much more fascinating, and that is the idea that when that um a lot of diseases including coronavirus they affect your speech itself yeah. so with coronavirus it affects your ability to breathe and how deeply you can breathe you run out of breath you have, you know you'll speak in shorter utterances you'll have to stop and take a breath you might have a rattle in your lungs you might have anyway there's a number of things that might affect your speech uh and the question is can we can we spot those automatically can we listen to someone speak and say, "Oh that sounds like they might have coronavirus uh, and do a sort of a first level really easy cheap screening mm-hmm. that can be done just you know on a tablet or something instead of requiring uh, a kit uh, 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 whatever and, and someone could do it from home on their phone or whatever so um we've uh we we at Cobalt uh, have a, a, a sister company called Canary Speech that uh, focuses generally on uh, uh, diagnosis and evaluation of disease, disease conditions, uh, neurological conditions, things like that, um, which include things like depression, uh, mental health, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, Parkinson's, a variety of conditions. Uh, but we 're also now with, uh, with canary Cobalt and Canary and others are looking at developing techniques to uh, be able to detect these biomarkers that might indicate that you have coronavirus uh, it 's very early days we're, we're involved in collecting some recordings of people with and without the disease um, and we 're just sort of picking through that, uh, that data right now and um, you know, ask me in in another two or three weeks whether uh, we've been able to to make some progress on that. But uh, I'm hopeful that we will.
0: Yeah. No. I think that's uh, what's so interesting about this is you made a comment when we first started this conversation about how you sort of almost needed a prerequisite. Um, you needed like these underlying technologies to have matured, to enable the Alexa series of devices, right, you needed like the deep neural networks and all the advances there. And I think what's interesting is, in order to do a number of the things that you've just described, whether it just be solid ASR and text to speech, um, you know, in order to do sort of the triaging and the kiosk work, um, you, you know, you need to rely on the last five years of progress that's been made. And then obviously with Canary, it's to a whole nother level of uh, sophistication with that. Um, Do you imagine that like in the foreseeable future, as this matures, um, that you would be able to ask a consumer device, um, you know, whether it's an application that's being powered on your you know, your Alexa device or some some type of device that you'd be using the Canary app, or you'd be using the Cobalt app where you can, you know, in the Canary uh, scenario where you can literally say, um, hey, Alexa, or hey, Canary, um, do a diagnosis on me today. And, and it will have you do, uh, you know, a, a minute long, you'll recite something so that it can collect a sample. And then from there, it will be able to read the, the biomarkers in there to at least get a sense of maybe there are some things off because you've been performing this and you've more or less established a benchmark uh, of what looks normal in your data because you do this kind of every single day.
1: Right. And, and in fact, we're already, uh, at Canary, we're already doing that for a number of conditions. Um, uh, the, the challenge is adding new conditions. We, we need uh, data for that to know what it sounds like to have this or that. Um, condition. Uh, But but we're already doing that at Canary, working with a number of partners um, to to detect, uh, identify, uh, diagnose uh, um, early, 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 early signs or biomarkers for a number of conditions.
0: So can you share with me then, like what are, you know, based on your experience at Cobalt and some of the different projects that you're working on, um, can you kind of shed a light on where do you see this uh, voice assistance in general and this idea of using them um, for more and more complex scenarios? Where are the limitations today? And what are the things that give you the most hope in terms of, you know, whether it was with deep neural networks five years ago, maybe it's still with deep neural networks and deep learning, but I'm curious to kind of get an idea of like where we should be looking in terms of areas that are going to help to support um, the momentum of continuing to move this further and further along so that these voice assistants are just increasingly more and more capable.
1: Yeah, Um, so I think these are gonna become more pervasive. You're gonna find them in in more places, in your car, in your refrigerator, in your whatever, you're going to find voice, uh, voice everywhere. Right. Um, but in order for that to work, there is, is, there's something that's kind of missing. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of what we have done over the, over the 25 years that I've been working in voice to be able to bring it into the mainstream and get it to work for more people and so forth. But, it still doesn't work for a lot of people. there are a lot of people who have uh, who have distinctive accents or uh speech difficulties or um, uh, there there are people that we don't understand exactly why but they just don't get along with speech recognition um, we 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 in the field we sometimes call them goats and I don't mean to say that as a as an insult but we <laughs> It's just, there's this phenomenon of of speech goats that the the, the technology doesn't work for them very well. And we don't always understand why that is that we're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting to where there are fewer and fewer, fewer goats, but there are still huge problems that, um, that we have. Like, if you look at everybody in the world, um, there are a lot of languages spoken and only a fraction of those have any kind of speech technology to support them. Uh, So there are lots and lots of people around the world who who have a cell phone, but can't talk to it And for them if they see you know in a movie or whatever they see someone talking to their phone That's science fiction. That doesn't work for them They aren't in that world and we want to bring them into that world as well that's one of the things that I think is going to have to be on the forefront of uh, of our uh, progress over the next five or ten years is being able to bring this technology everywhere. So it's not just speech everywhere, like a lot of devices in the first world and second world, but also throughout the world. Right. That speech is everywhere for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's as, as accessible as possible too, not just okay. as available. Um, okay. So that's really interesting. And then on, you know, something like, cause where I think my lack of understanding starts to fall apart is, the deep learning, the machine learning. Can you just speak a little bit about the current state of things and and where that area is sort of going?
1: Uh, so uh, deep learning refers to a very specific type of machine learning. Machine learning is a broad category. Deep learning is a very specific type of that that mm-hmm. uses uh, uh, multi-layer perceptrons. That, that, that It's a, a very particular thing that happens to be very good at Recognizing images and speech and a number of things that technology is 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 becoming mature. It's it's uh, There have been several variants that have been explored and refined and we're getting pretty good at at least the I, I don't know that the deep learning itself is going to improve a whole lot um, It may find new homes uh, so for example uh, deep learning is not used. It's used a lot in acoustic modeling It's not used as much in language modeling and even less in like natural language understanding So the deep learning approaches might find new homes new places to be applied um, So that could happen. I, I also think that there are there are going to be things that uh, Surprise us uh, that we that we don't know. I mean deep learning surprised us 10 years ago um, I, I don't know uh, I don't know what the next surprise is going to be, uh, but yeah I you know I look forward to it and I hope that we're smart enough to recognize it and 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 capitalize on it. Um, the the thing that I have learned if I've learned anything in my 25 years in this field is that the future is just not knowable. Yeah. Uh, that you know you can you can you can see. A little ways down the road, you can kind of you can take some educated guesses about what's going to happen six to twelve months from now. But as soon as you start talking two to three years from now, there's just too much yeah. that is unpredictable. And things are going to impact it beyond the technology. The coronavirus thing is impacting our yeah. lives in crazy ways that we wouldn't have predicted and that are going to, you know, spur new developments and new products and applications. It's getting people used to working from home. Who knows how that's going to change the world? Um, there's just a, a lot of lot of things that are that you know the, a lot of ways in which the future. We I don't know how it's going to evolve. Yeah, I hope it's I hope that, like I say, I hope we're smart enough that when opportunities present themselves, we can we can uh, jump on them and and take advantage of them and don't let them pass us by.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. And I think from somebody like you that's been working in this space for as long as you have um, to acknowledge that it's really hard to predict where this is going. You have, an, you have a sense of what options it enables, but you don't necessarily know where it's ultimately going to go. So uh, Jeff, as we wrap here, can you just share with the listeners a little bit about um, you know where they can find you, contact you and just read up on Cobalt and the great work that you guys are doing there?
1: Yeah, you can find me hiding out in my house. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, uh, you, can, uh, you can you can you uh, can uh, always get a hold of us uh, at Cobalt. Uh, you can go to our website. There's a there's a contact contact us button. Uh, you can send an email to info at cobaltspeech You can follow us on all the uh, social network things, and uh, and we're always happy to hear from people especially if you have some interesting ideas uh, for projects that we could do with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I uh, got connected to you through Bruce, Bruce Rasa, who is with AgVoice. So I'm going to have a podcast episode coming out with him in the not too distant future, but another company that you guys are supporting. Um, So I love these sort of white label uh, voice assistants that are being specialized for different yeah. verticals and industries and stuff. I mean, to think that it, this is just limited to Alexa or Google Assistant is, is um, not understanding the full picture because there's, I think, the most interesting stuff is actually happening uh, sort of in these really um, narrow but deep verticals.
1: Yep, I agree.
0: Well, cool, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week, everybody. And thanks, Jeff, for jumping on. We will chat with you next time. Cheers.